This is Wired Up. With Matt Kennedy and Jerry Peralta. On KMSA 91.3. Where is it at? Where is it? I'm looking through windows and I still can't see it. Where is the motivation to finish through dead week? Uh, I can't I, see anywhere. I don't have any. <laughs> it's gone. It's gone. Uh, Just before this, I was writing an essay. After this, I'll be going to do more homework. And then this weekend, guess what that's filled with? Homework. Homework. Studying. Finals. Yeah. Not test. I have one test. But mass comm people, communications people, <laughs> journalism. You can relate. We got projects. We got projects to do galore for days. Endless amounts. Yes. What's my nose in it? <laughs> but you know what? Let's take a break. Let's take a break from all the craziness in finals week. Let's enjoy one hour of good sports talk radio, some good conversation, some debates. We'll listen to some clips. And then we'll go about our day and then cry afterwards. But for now, no crying. Matt Kennedy, Jared Pearl to Wild. I've already cried, friend. though. KMSA, <laughs> music for the Cardinal Master Mavericks. Oh, yeah, Jerry's crying. Uh, I'm, I'm crying on the inside right now. It hurts. Today on the show, we're going to start off with some breaking news here within the NFL world. Two star players, two most iconic players in the Seattle Seahawks history, Cam Chancellor and Doug Baldwin, have been released. They're donezo. They're gone. Yeah. The yeah. LB of old is no more. No, no more. Uh, yeah, I was in class the moment I saw this news break, and the moment I saw it, I immediately texted you. I was like, we need to talk about this. This is big. Before I let you... Mope a little bit, Jerry, and, and yeah, of course you'll, you'll be doing all the talking with yeah, that Yeah, I'll one. be doing all the talking, and then I'll get your opinion on some of these After situations. That, we'll talk about the Broncos starting their OTAs. I know, Jerry, you want to talk Seahawks, which we will. We'll, but we'll discuss we'll, both of and them. And then we'll, ta- yeah, then we'll talk some, some, uh, some Denver Broncos. They start OTAs and want to talk about their defense situation and the Vic Fangio effect, which will officially take place officially starting this Sunday. Also, the Carwood Avalanche are no longer with in the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. They were eliminated by San Jose. We will discuss and recap that final controversial Game 7, which sent the Avalanche away. And are the Warriors now done without KD? Are the Rockets going to be able to come back and finish that series off after being down 2 to nothing? Now they're down 3-2. to two. And then we'll wrap it up with our clips of the week. But Jerry, I'll pass it over to you. Yeah. Today, Doug Baldwin and Cam Chancellor were released as of 2.53, put the exact time. Yep. And please explain the reasoning and, and please explain the reaction for the Seahawks country. So uh, so going into this, at two, and like Matt said, at 2.53, it was announced that Seattle had terminated both contracts for both Cam Chancellor and Doug Baldwin, both big-time players, and they were part of the remaining few from the twenty from the twenty fourteen twenty fifteen Super Bowl champions championship run that Seattle had, um, main reason they were they their contracts were terminated. They weren't released. They weren't cut. Their contracts were terminated uh, because they both failed their physical designations. Cam Chancellor, obviously, Which really, I'm sorry that that really is just a sad way to go out, though. That you know, is, after the injuries, and it's just it is it's disappointing. And for Cam Chancellor, I'm not gonna lie. I was expecting I. Was ha- I was kind of excited when Seattle put him on IR last season because 
that left room for maybe hope that he was going to be able to come back into the NFL and maybe take out and be that leader now that yeah. Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman were gone. But that was not the case. Cam Chancellor had had sustained a neck injury back in 2017, and due to that, he is unfortunately never going to be able to play again. And, you know, it, that really hurts Seattle. Now Seattle's looking at a really young defense with your – main veterans being KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner. Um, Doug Baldwin, his career is just up in the air at the moment. He just had his second uh, surgery of the off season. He's had a knee. He had a knee procedure done at the beginning of this, of the off season, but Pete head coach, Pete Carroll described that as it was a non-surgical one. So How old is Doug Baldwin? Doug Baldwin. I don't think he can, he's not that old. Let's, Quickly look that up. Because to have your failed physical at such a... He's 30. So he's right in the, I wouldn't say prime, but in the decline of his career, right at the start of the decline. Yeah. Rather sooner than, than most people would. We I can give you another example. People like Demarius Thomas yeah. who are around the exact same age and then they start to decline after one or two injuries. Now they're never really the same. Of course, yeah. DT is still playing. He's with the New England Patriots now. We'll see how long that goes. But yeah, somebody like Doug Baldwin and Camp Chancellor who have been iconics. Yeah, for the Seahawks within the last decade or so, everybody from that old Super Bowl team, or at least the core, the core of those guys have have since moved on, or of or course retired. Cliff Cliff Averill is another example. He was also part of that 2014-2015 championship team. Uh, big defensive end there alongside Michael Bennett, and he had to retire the same way as Cam Chancellor is looking at right now. Severe neck injury, so that has played a factor. And both guys, captains of their of the team, Doug Baldwin. Yeah, he was on the decline of his. He was on that. He hit that point where we were probably going to start seeing more of a decline in play. But he was still a big factor. He was able to. He was one of those guys along with Tyler Lockett who was able to uh, make big plays, bring in you know keep Seattle in games, and make these miraculous catches. He was quick on his feet. He was. And he was a good captain to that receiving core, you know, the being the veteran that he was. Um, so the fact that his career is up in the air is is really sad. And it, it 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 was to be expected for Doug Baldwin, just mainly because he had that he had that second surgery. So his physical designation probably was not going to be a good one anyway, spe- especially considering it was really recent. Uh, Baldwin even had was just had an injury filled uh, 2018 season, which really hurt him in the end. But I mean, Seattle planning ahead of time prepared for the inevitability that they were going to be without Doug Baldwin, you know, and they drafted, picked up, picked up a guy in DK Metcalf who is going to be that go-to starter now to alongside his expectations now have gone through. If we expect he was, one of the most prominent athletes at the NFL draft this year yeah. at the combine. He yep. was, he was picked high simply because of his physical stature. And now yep. he's being expected to be a guy like Des Bryant, a guy like Calvin Johnson to perform mm-hmm. at that level, a guy like Doug Baldwin. Well, and it's, it's going to be interesting because he's now he, you have DK Metcalf and side and side by side with Tyler Lockett. Um, Is that and, the best one, two combo that they could produce right now? Uh, at the moment, they have they have some other guys, and I just can't, I'm I'm drawing blanks on some names You're here, fine. but that's gonna that's gonna be that's not gonna be what's the word I'm looking for is it's 
the ideal situation for Seattle at the moment. You you need you did need DK Metcalf to come in and really start shining. And as far as his as far as the rookie minicamp is going, he is actually exceeding expectations for Seattle. He is really shining. Sure. So, That's good. And the, and the good thing with DK Metcalf is he is a he is the same style of receiver that Tyler Lockett is. They're both vertical style mm-hmm. receivers. So and both have their big speed. So with that, that's going to be able to they're going to be able to spread out the defense way more in that secondary, which in Seattle's case, when they now that they're trying to transition back to a run offense, that's really going to help them out in the long run because now with the secondary spread out, you can actually have your running backs go go for white wider runs than you expected. Um, And even with Cam Chancellor, they Seattle drafted Marquise strong safety, Marquise Blair uh, to fill the gap of try and fill that gap of losing both Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas. Now, uh, now Uh, in the past last season, you had guys like Tedrick Thompson out of Colorado and uh, Bradley McDougal, who really stepped up and showed that they could be the guys to take over if Seattle was to lose both Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas, which obviously has happened. So this Seattle defense is going to be a really young defense, and they're going to need a lot of – it's going to be a lot of rebuilding here for the defense in Seattle. Offensively, they're look they're looking fine. You, you still have Russell Wilson. Tyler Lockett's still there. Um, you have Chris Carson, who played phenomenal in his 20, in the 2018 season. So – there's there's a lot of options on the offensive side. Defensively, Seattle's going to be looking to rebuild. Uh, just to give some quick stats for both Doug Baldwin and Cam Chancellor in Seattle. Doug Baldwin, a two-time Pro Bowler, 493 receptions, 6,563 yards, and 49 touchdowns in his career in Seattle. So undraft, and he was undrafted in the uh, undrafted free agent from that uh, draft draft class. Uh, Cam Chancellor, four-time Pro Bowler, uh, 12 interceptions, nine forced fumbles, 17 tackles for losses, and a total of 1,075 total tackles in his career at Seattle. So, I mean, you you being a Bronco fan, you're looking in at this. Where do you think Seattle's going to have to go from here then? They can no longer rely on their old identity. No. They, on, which, on which they were. This is going to be a completely new team. They can no longer rely on their past stars because, of course, they don't have any past stars anymore. All that they have left is is Russell Wilson from well, really they, from that they, court, they still have Bobby Wagner and well, KJ Wright. Offensive, offensive offensively, offensive yeah, because that's where they're going to have to find their identity. And now is in the offense. Russell Wilson, man, he was before younger, talented player that he still is filled the role of of one of the lesser leaders on the team. But now he is automatically going to have to take that primary role as the prime leader on the primary role as a prime leader. Yeah, I guess that goes primary well. captain. He's going to take that, that primary offense. captain role, of the offense. There's nobody really around him that can elevate his game because he is the one that has to elevate everybody else now. So now oh. Russ Wilson, Pete Carroll and geez, uh, who, who else is left on that offense? That, that is from the, from that 2015 or just from two years ago, from two years ago, uh, Chris Carson and Tyler Lockett, really. I mean, that's really about it. So they're going to have to take about a year or two to really re- rebuild and get back to that status that they want to be at. I don't see this year being highly successful for the, for the Seahawks, at least what they it, are it's gonna, normally accustomed to. It's going to be a challenge to have the same level of success that they're used to. Yeah, and ESPN and like and the NFL, they're, they are already predicting that Seattle most likely is going to go 
eight and eight on the season. This is definitely which an eight and eight team. It, it's definitely looking like it, but with luckily for Seattle, they were they were supposed to be an eight and eight team last season. But you know you have, but now you have guys. There's still a lot of talent on this team, sure. and it's a lot of young talent. Now they and now, to, now they have to find a new identity. They have to be able, to, yeah, find and, the new identity and they have to be able to get these young guys to establish their presence early and often. And I could see that happening. I honestly, I still think Seattle can pull out a winning season. They may not win the, they may not win that division, oh, the not. NFC West, for a couple of years. That's mm-hmm. still going to be the challenge because you still have the LA Rams who are dominant. just on all bases. And then now you have the Arizona Cardinals who are starting to build a new foundation that, and San Francisco, who's also looking to rebuild their own foundation. So you're, the challenges are there and it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to watch this next season and how Seattle's going to bounce back from this uh, situation. Don't mean to cut you off chair. When we come back, switch it to the mile high city, Denver Broncos previewing the OTAs, making a Jared Pearl to wind up. yourself repeating the same thing over and over for 75 years you might be smoky bear only you can prevent wildfires that's why i'm filling in for smoky to switch things up because there's a lot more to say and i should know because my grandfather was a firefighter and one of the things he taught me is that the people that love the outdoors the most are often the ones accidentally starting wildfires which means always byob No, bring your own bucket to the campfire. And be extra careful with things like burning yard trimmings. Don't just walk away, or chances are you might be starting a wildfire. So for the love of the outdoors, go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Music for the Mavs on KMSA 91.3 FM. So, a lot of crazy stuff going on in Colorado right now. Matt Kennedy, Joe Peralta. 419 p.m. Mountain West Time, wired up 91.3 FM, KMSA. This is what we got going on. Denver Broncos are starting their OTs this week in the midst of a lot of other things going on in the Colorado professional sporting world, which we will talk later on, starting with Avalanche, and then we'll get into some NBA playoffs and throw some nuggets in there as well. But as of right now, stick with football. Stick with football. Jerry just got done discussing his, his Seahawks situation. Interesting situation for them coming into OTAs. A lot of young guys having to step up and take that leadership role. Now jumping to Denver. The Broncos, who are completely no-look, they are very, very few uh, team members, I think only, geez, maybe less than three, who are from that 2015-2016 Super Bowl season. Yeah, because you have Von Miller, Chris Harris, Chris Harris, and Anderson, or uh, Sanders. Yeah. That's pretty much it. That's, I think there may be one or two linemen, I'm not entirely sure. Um, But in terms of starting lineups, I I think those are the main guys. But looking, Chris Harris Jr. may not even be around in, in a couple weeks, we're post-draft, and John Elway still not has announced that he is talking with Chris Harris Jr. regarding a new contract, and with OTA starting this weekend, it is still I don't optional think, yeah, I don't if think Chris Harris Jr. will show up for OTAs. He is not a guy to skip. He's not a guy to pull Le'Veon Bell or a Antonio Brown, but that may be the case. 
if the man who deserves to get paid more than he has been is not going to get the deal, so he may end up be playing for a different team come the start of August and but September. We have, and we have already discussed this, so what other problems is Denver facing? You just want me to move on? You just want me to try, you try, well, is, I mean, is that a passive-aggressive trying to move me along here? No, but... I'm I, introducing the, the main thing here. Is this Jack. the main thing no, here? No, it's not the main thing. I'm just discussing I'm just, a situation. But here. I'm just saying, though, we've, just, we've talked about this already, you know? It's good to recap. It's good to recap. It's good. Yeah. I'm just stating <laughs> It's still the state of where we're at right now. It's still a big story. Denver Broncos have a lot of stories going into this offseason. Too many, to be fair. But my question, and I was reading an article earlier on by Jeff Legwald on ESPN, can the Denver Broncos rebuild a Super Bowl caliber defense? And they more than likely can do that via the Vic Fangio effect. There are plenty of players that were drafted this year by the Denver Broncos that are immediately feeling the effects of the Vic Fangio head coaching era. And a lot of veterans are also feeling it. One of the new and improved rookie draft picks for the Denver Broncos this year is former Ohio State defensive lineman Draymond Jones, third-round pick for Denver this year. He could be the missing piece of the defensive line that could bring the Orange Crush defense back to relevance. We all remember Malik Jackson when he was drafted by the Broncos as a six-foot-four-and-a-half, 284-pound, excuse me, Pound defensive end. He had a big personality, and is enough to uh, and has enough strength to defend the run on the edge. You could also press the gaps up the middle if he wanted to, which he very much did. He also gained weight, and he was a big, big part in that Super Bowl victory back in 2016. Man, I forgot he was he was originally drafted by Denver. He was huge for us, and yeah. then he ended up being and- released by Denver, being picked up by the Jacksonville Jaguars. For a, give me one second, have her here. Six-year, $85.5 million contract back in Jeez. March of 2016. <laughs> and then it was later released this year after his time there went south. He eventually fell down the depth chart and got released. So maybe, I can't remember where he's at right now. I don't know if he's out anymore. Yeah, I'll look it up. The tides have turned for Mr. Draymond Jones, defensive end. That was living in the shadow of Nick Bosa. Now has his chance to shine. Jones has, in his senior year at Ohio State, he had... More sacks and tackles for loss for the Buckeyes in 2018 than he had in his previous two seasons combined. This last year, he had nine sacks and 13 tackles for loss. He only had one sack prior in his first two years. And one of the players who will be lining up next to him will be defensive tackle Shelby Harris, who will also fill a prominent role in that defensive line. So Shelby on NFL Network earlier on this week, he was asked, if he is feeling that Vic Fangio effect and if it will have any positive effect in the Mile High City. Oh, I should also mention this. Malik Jackson's with Philadelphia now. Thank, oh, that's right. Anyways, Shelby? Yeah, you know, he's kind of, you know, he has that no BS approach. and. Denver brings five this time. Rose Give me one second to clip him back to the beginning. <laughs> it's right there. It did that earlier off me today. I'm like, if you do that again, I swear. Here we go. Kind of, you know, he has that no BS approach. And, uh... I, it's, it's really energizing for the guys uh, every day when we go out there on the field and, and we're working. And, and when he talks, you listen. He's been a D coordinator in this league for for 20-plus years, and, and so you listen. He knows what he's talking about. And just look at, look at, his, look at where he's been. He's been Chicago, San Fran, Baltimore, all these places. Every place he's been has had a great defense. And so we're just excited to get started. And, and you know, we start OTAs on Monday. And so that'll be real exciting to get in there and really – Get under and then get to play under his defense. And we saw. 
Shelby Harris describing his new head coach, Vic Fangio. I apologize. The uh, clip restarted from the back of the beginning. <laughs> very so interesting. I didn't cut it up. Anyways, so Shelby, who became a very prominent uh, defensive lineman for the Denver last year. Of course, he had that pick against the Pittsburgh Steelers, I believe it was in week nine or ten, in which was for me, that was the biggest win of the year. One of the only big wins of the year for the Denver Broncos. This new defensive line slash this new defensive era that is bringing by Vic Fangio is going to play a big part to determine if they're actually going to be able to uh, not reiterate or mirror what they did back in 2015, 2016, but bring in this new phase of aggressive defensive line and the outside attack that is now, of course, headlined by Von Miller with the lack of DeMarcus Ware in the presence of the um, defensive area there. So the question's going in. Denver's going to have to rebuild from the ground up. The players that remain from that core group of guys are Vaughn and Chris Harris Jr. from the prominent 2016 Denver Broncos defense. Their secondary is now the no-fly zone 2.0. The defensive line has shifted all the leadership to Vaughn from DeMarcus Ware. Denver, looking at who they drafted this year, they drafted players like Justin Hollins from the, the outside linebacker from Oregon to bring some backup to Vaughn after losing guys like Shaquille Barrett. L.A. did not draft an inside linebacker, even though they needed, they needed to replace somebody for Brandon Marshall. Elway, when being asked why he did not draft an inside backer, Jerry, this is one of the only holes that they did not fill. Yeah, that in, was very in, surprising. In the draft this year because they only have Todd Davis and now Josie Jewell. Don't have much depth behind that. But John Elway gave some reasoning for that, and he believes, and I quote, he said, we thought Justin, as in Justin Hollins, could play inside or outside linebacker. And that's when... We talk about inside backer. So basically when he was saying that we drafted inside backer, that's what he was implying. With Justin, the flexibility and versatility that he has with him going inside as well as outside, we kind of felt that like we hit all the spots that we best could. Uh, but Denver passed on guys like uh, like Devin Bush in this draft from from Yeah. Uh, from LSU. And, okay. And this is and this is my thing going to the quote. Yeah, you could have guys like Justin Hollis who would be versatile in playing inside and outside. But if you only have that guy who you're going to look to fill both the inside and outside linebacker position, who's around him to really give him that kind of depth that you would want in that back in that core there? Well, you know, in terms of besides Todd Davis and Josie Jewell, like I just said, there aren't many. And I can't even give you a list of guys unless I was looking at a depth chart about who else Denver has within that linebacking core because in terms of how they were two years ago, it's completely different. With the loss of Brandon Marshall, you lose that second or third guy within the linebacking efficiency, and now you're questioning what happens if there's an injury. Todd Davis was injured a few times last year. Yeah, So is Josie Jewell. Well, and then now you're it's not even looking to your linebacker core to be that, be that powerhouse. You... Denver seems like they're trying to build their defense around this that front defensive line with Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, and now uh, who who'd you just say they drafted uh, or Draymond Jones? Yeah, Jones. So, so now you need now you're going to look to those guys to be the go to mm-hmm. attackers on the defensive side. Your linebacker core is going to be there, but there's not there's not much depth behind it, and the fact that you're going to re- rely on one specifically one guy. Justin Hollis to Hollins to do this, that's a tall order for him, especially coming out of college. Well, we don't 
even know if he's going to play inside linebacker or outside linebacker. Well, they, it, with the way he was, with the way Elway was making it sound, it seems like he's going to be doing a bit of both. So he's going to be that middle linebacker for I, I would assume specific for uh, these kinds of play, some, some kinds of plays, down. and then outside linebacker for other kinds of plays. But you, but really, if you don't have depth in your linebacker core, your whole defense is going to struggle. Your secondary maybe you may have that strong secondary. Just because they don't have depth, it doesn't mean their defense is going to struggle. It just means that they're going to have to find strengths in different areas, which they are doing because which, which they're going true. to force those guys within the front five to actually push that offensive line back and reach those gaps that the linebackers don't even have to try and break through. So simply, because Josie Jewell is a beast. Yeah. So is Todd Davis. We just yeah. paid Todd Davis a big, big contract extension. I think yeah, it was last those year. Two guys, those two guys are definitely worth the money. And then you, guys, then you bring in guys within the secondary. Vic Fangio knows what he's doing. And him and Elway work very, very well together. They had an excellent draft this year, as well as a very successful offseason. This defense is going to look very, very strong. But I'm just questioning... How is this defense going to look on third and fourth down when they want to send some blitzes in? Or maybe even, you know what? It depends. It depends. I, 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 would, would, have depend to see how, I would have to see how Draymond Jones and Shelby Harris handle the run on first and second down to see if the linebackers need to step up like they're being that, asked to. Well, and so that's, and yeah, that's definitely going to be a key factor in watching, you know, the offseason, these training camps and everything. Preseason is going to be an interest, is going to be a fun one to watch for if you're a Denver fan because A, now you're going to start to see how these guys, these young guys are going to face the opposition on first and second down. But then you can also get a feel for how, for how this defense is going to work on third and fourth downs as well. But it all starts on those first two plays for the, for the defense. And it's going to, it's going to be interesting to look at how those guys adjust. One of the other big stories is of course, Emmanuel Sanders, the veteran and pro bowl wide receiver for the Denver Broncos towards Achilles back in December. He is currently in month four slash five of his six month full-time recovery process. I think it should be longer The dude towards Achilles. That is a very long and very hard injury to come back from, but he's doing it rather exponentially fast. I wouldn't say he is incredibly ahead of schedule, but he is right on that pace in which he should be to, to be coming back by the time week one rolls around within September. But he says that he has been running at full speed, and he says that the timetable is looking pretty good for his return. And I'm taking it one day at a time and uh, see how it goes, you know. Uh, I feel like um, when I do run full speed, I feel good in running. Um, so... Um, I wouldn't say that we're ahead of schedule. I wouldn't say we're behind schedule. Uh, I just feel like we're somewhere in between there. So we'll see how it goes and see how, you know, once I start running routes and how I feel um, to see, you know, if I'm ready, ready to go. So basically what that means, he's, he's not ahead on of schedule. schedule. He's on schedule. That's, that's, that's somewhere in between, you're on schedule. Emmanuel. That's pretty much what he wanted to say. But, you know, yes, I mean, especially because. We need Emmanuel back. You, we, we need that number one receiver. Yeah, if Cole and Sutton cannot provide that right now. Well, not at the moment. Need, he's need still he's presence. still he's still develop he's still developing his play. And if you have a Emmanuel Sanders back, there there's your vet, there's your veteran captain for that receiving core, and especially around guy a guy like Joe Flacco, you're gonna need that number one receiver for to help your offense move the ball. Um, so Sanders saying that he feels is feeling good. He's already and the fact that he's running at full speed is already surprising enough just because you it would it, he tore his Achilles like you said that's going to be he ended up clocking in speed at 19.8 miles per hour so so he when he when he did that after 4 months after tearing his Achilles he's like yeah I still got it 
He still got it. Yep. Emmanuel, we're rooting for you, buddy. Please come back. Joe Flacco needs his A1 Bay 1, and the Denver Broncos need somebody to lead that young receiving course because that is also a very prominent need that Denver has to fill right now. Cortland Sutton, Deshaun Hamilton, and they just drafted the guy from Colorado. I can't remember his name, but those guys are going to be the top four receivers for Denver this year. Maybe Jordan Taylor can come in as well. But as of right now, Denver needs to fill those gaps. They also need to find some depth on the linebacking core because that is the only worry that is prominent in Denver. OTA start May 13th in the Mile High City. We'll see how that goes. Also, Drew Locke, he chose number three. He's also number six in the polls. Uh, I guess we could say know the odds. He is ranked sixth best to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. I don't think he's going to start a single game, but if Jeff Flacco goes south, I was going to say that... (laughs) <laughs> that's a high. Ex- I mean, since he's a quarterback, he's automatically in. Well, yeah, but that. I mean, where does where Daniel Jones sit in that? I actually have to ask. Uh, Do you I have, see? I have it. I have it. He's not in it. Ah, really you, have, you have Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, Josh Jacobs, Marquise Brown, Mercole Hardman, Drew Locke, and then T.J. Hawkinson, Debo Samuel, Nikhil Harry, and De- oh, sorry, Jones is tenth. Okay. Daniel Jones is tenth. Okay. See, I. See, look, hearing those first those names, I'm thinking Dwayne Haskins probably has the better shot. Kyler there. Murray. Kyler Murray's got a good chance, but but Arizona's got Arizona's got one of one of the relatively most difficult t- schedules this season, so he's going to be under a lot of heat. Drew Locke will be number three. He says that he feels comfortable after being under center in the voluntary rookie mini camps compared to playing in the shotgun the majority of his collegiate career. Exciting times in Denver. We will continue. Well, I guess not really exciting well, because one of those times has come to an end. Still exciting, though. It was still very exciting. We'll recap the Avalanche is Game 7 appearance against San Jose. Coming up, Matt Kennedy, Jerry Poltz, Wired Up. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain sleet and mud in 95 I helped tow your moving trailer in 05 I helped you get out of a ditch yeah I know I'm a bit rusty and sadly in 09 it was sparks from me your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
Music for the Mavs on KMSA 91.3 FM. It's ter- tragic times when a team who wasn't even supposed to be in the playoffs ends up having Miracle Run and then having an end really on a technicality. Matt Kennedy, Jared Peralta, Wired Up, 903 from Music for the Senior Mavericks. We're back. We're discussing the Colorado Avalanche, who ended up beyond, who ended up being on the receiving end, excuse me, of a rather disappointing loss to a very, very inspiring run in the Western Conference semifinals, part of the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs in Game 7 in San Jose last night. The Avalanche were beat by the Sharks 3-2 to eventually lose the series 4-3. San Jose advances to the Western Conference Finals. The Avalanche will go tumbling back on to Denver with nothing in their back pocket. Oh my gosh, what just happened? I just, I just short-circuited there for a second. With nothing in the back pockets except some memories of what this year brought. The Avalanche should never have even been in the NHL playoffs, they barely snuck in. And I mean barely, by the skin of their teeth, mm-hmm. snuck in with that eighth seed. Yep. And then they went on to beat Calgary in five games. That series was absolutely phenomenal. When that when they won that series, when they beat the one seed in five games, it was like, oh, okay. Yep. Regular season doesn't matter. Let's go win a Stanley Cup. And then you get the oh-so-prominent Sharks. A team that has been a thorn in the side, at least of my side, being an Avalanche fan in the last decade. This team, along with the Detroit Red Wings, has just been some, my, at least my biggest rivals. I despise the Sharks. It was a great series. Fantastic games. You remember game six a couple of nights ago. Landeskog, overtime, won it for the Avalanche after a fantastic comeback. The series was going like 1-2 or 1-1. 2-1, 2-2, 3-2, and then eventually the Sharks won last night. But Landeskog, the team captain, Gabriel Landeskog, man, you got to feel for him. You got to feel for him. And I'll play exactly what happened. One second, I should be more prepared than this. So basically what happened is Landeskog was trying to get off the ice. The Avalanche were down 2-1 to one in the second period. Miko Rotanen scored a goal in the second period. It was tied. Everybody was going crazy if you're an Avalanche fan. San Jose was silent. Landeskog, he ended up being on the ice still. He was trying to get off. He tried to turn his back, and I'm trying to wait for the clip to pull up. It's being very, very slow, and I'm trying to push uh, it down. I'm trying to give you a, a synopsis of what happened. Pretty much, yeah. The, it, it was a mistake. That he was called for offsides. Yeah, it, it was a very costly mistake, but you can't you can't really put the blame on him, especially considering the fact that a he was trying to get off the ice at the time. Landis Gog was called for offsides. His foot was still on the ice. One of his his left skate, I believe, was still on the ice by the time the puck re- across the blue line. So therefore, because he did not retreat, since he did not check back in time. He was called for offsides, and the call was overturned, and the Sharks escaped with the win and advanced to the conference finals. You got to feel for Gabe. He was the hero in game six in which he scored the overtime goal. 
The Pepsi Center crowd was chanting his name after the goal and the game. Last night, because he still had one foot on the ice, the puck crossed the blue line. The tie got taken away, and the Avalanche lost, and Landeskog blames himself for the incident. The goal that caught the callback? I mean, I was I was just as surprised as anybody. I mean, I, I came off, and all of a sudden, I, two seconds later, we score. I didn't think anything of it, to be honest with you. Uh, and then we were wondering why they weren't dropping the puck, and, you know, obviously I was still on the ice. And, you know, we saw some replays on the bench, and, you know, from what we saw, it could have been could have gone either way. But, uh, yeah. Could have gone either way. The, on, a, a, on a technicality. A rule that has nothing to do with the goal that was scored. It was insanity. Sharks video coach Dan Darrow immediately noticed the incident after the goal was scored, he radioed in down to the coaches on the bench, and the goal was quickly challenged and overturned. It was disappointing nonetheless. Uh, controversial officiating in Sharks Game 7 is officially a trend in the playoffs. The Sharks eliminated the Vegas Golden Knights in the first round and part to a five-minute major penalty on which they scored four goals for which the NHL eventually apologized to Vegas. What kind of penalty was it that it was five minutes? I can't remember. I really, like, I didn't pay attention. I, I paid attention enough to the series to know who won, but I did not hear about this one. Need to go back and recanish on that. But anyways, I'm going to have to really go back and look at that because what, what kind of penalty could have been called that is five minutes long and not and not releasable? I would have to go back. It would, it would have to have been a very I, pretty big technical I wasn't paying attention if, to that even series. that. All I know is that I watched Game Seven, and I remember. I, well, I remember the re- at least I remember the talk about that game. But anyways, team captain Joe Pavlisky for the Sharks made his return from injury and had an assist and the goal in the game. The first one was to bring the Sharks up one nothing. Plus the and uh, the home ice for San Jose was too much for the Avs to overcome. I don't. Also, think so. prominent player Nathan McKinnon was also dealing with a shoulder injury throughout the game that limited his playing time. The Avs were fighting from behind. From the very start, as the Sharks got ahead 2-0 early in the game, and it was too much for the Colorado Avalanche to handle. Eventually, they did handle it, yeah. but then it was taken right underneath their skates. See, now, now going back to that call for the review, I get the idea. It's a playoff game, and it's a semi-playoff game, so you, you there's a lot. It wasn't initially called, Jerry. Go Remember this. Yeah. It was a non-call that got reviewed and then initiated. Yeah. In terms of the goal being turned about. So. Yeah. And realistically, I don't, I'm not, I don't know the rules of hockey very well, but I think, it, I don't think that if a player is going off for substitution, that you can really get them for being offside. Mainly, he, if he's on the ice, he's an active skater. Yeah. But I mean, only having a foot on the ice, though, that's still seems, on the ice, still an active skater. It's, it's like, it's like when there are, 12 players on the football field, and a player is running off, trying to get both feet off of the field of play before the ball is snapped. It's the same thing. If they reviewed somebody who was running off, if he had one foot in, he's not off of the field. Very, see, same that, thing. That's just that's very interesting to me. I would never think of it like that. But, I mean, you you really can't discredit what the Avalanche were able to do this season, especially considering they, they got into the playoffs by the skin of their teeth. They They... I'm, it wasn't a sweep, but I'm gonna call it a sweep because it took. They did it in four games. 
they they managed to sweep Calgary, the number one both number one teams in this NHL playoffs, mind you, were eliminated in that first round. Uh so they they sweep Calgary. And then they take San Jose, who was a thorn in their side for in the regular season. They take him to seven games to you know, determine who goes to that finals. The Avalanche should still be should be happy with what they were able to do accomplish. Oh yeah, I'm this not season. saying that they're disappointed, but oh. you know what, Jerry? They believe that they could have won the Stanley Cup. Oh, with they how prob- they performed in the first round and then the second round and a great team against San Jose. Yeah, the adversity that they faced and eventually did not overcome on the greater scale. They could have won a Stanley Cup. Oh yeah, they could they could have won a Stanley Cup with how they're performing, and it's upsetting that they didn't. But you know what? Watching. Within the regular season, there wasn't much hope for this team. It wasn't until the last month that Avalanche fans were like, you know what? Let's try and uh, let's try and do something. Well, here. at the beginning of the season, the, the Avalanche were looking really promising. It looked like they could probably do something. Then they Mid- fell off. Mid-season, fell they off. fell off. They they fell off, fell off for the longest time. Then Picked it back, back up towards the end. Managed to get managed to get a, get the last spot in the playoffs. They were so, fifth in the Central Division. Holy crap! Yeah, that was very. It was just. It, it was lucky on their part, but if the but if they can keep this going into next season, take it in take take all the momentum they have riding from the playoffs into the off season, keep it rolling into next season. The Avalanche are going to do just fine. They'll they have they will definitely have enough chances to uh, take get a Stanley Cup, especially with if they play the way they did in this playoff. There's still some playoff. Tension going on in Denver. One of those teams, I guess the only team now remaining within Denver playoff contention is the Denver Nuggets. We'll talk about them and the Western Conference side of the NBA playoffs. Coming up, Matt Kennedy, Jared Peralta, wired up. Hey, y'all, Jeff Foxworthy here. Now, if you've ever found yourself repeating the same thing over and over for 75 years, you might be... Smokey Bear. Only you can prevent wildfires. That's why I'm filling in for Smokey to switch things up, because there's a lot more to say. And I should know, because my grandfather was a firefighter, and one of the things he taught me is that the people that love the outdoors the most are often the ones accidentally starting wildfires, which means always BYOB. <laughs> no, bring your own bucket to the campfire. And be extra careful with things like burning yard trimmings. Don't just walk away, or chances are you might be starting a wildfire. So for the love of the outdoors, go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. My name is Hunter Hayes. I know myself, and I know my buzzed warning signs. One shot is about knowing my limits or not necessarily knowing my limits. I start with one shot to have a good time. One of the signs that I'm starting to feel a little buzz is when I start solving not only my own problems, but the entire world's problems. When I know I'm going out, I know I'm going to start with calling for a ride. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Music for the Mavs on KMSA 91.3 FM. To the latter half of Wired Up today, or I guess the final quarter of the show. Busy time 
This is a busy time, not just within school. It is grind time here at Carlton Mason University and around the NCAA or I guess just any kind of college world. High school too. Man, finals are killer, man. It's dead week, but it, it is also crunch time within the professional sporting world. The Western Conference uh, side of the NBA is where I want to put my focus. And before we get to the Nuggets, I want to talk about the other semi-series that is going on right now. The most prominent series, at least if you are a casual NBA fan, is the Warriors and the Houston Rockets. Kevin Durant, former MVP Kevin Durant, one of the best players in the world, Kevin Durant, went out in the third quarter in last night's Game 5 between the Rockets and the Warriors with a mild, which we now know is a mild calf strain, in which he'll be reevaluated next week. So more than likely, we will not, we will not see KD for the remainder of, of the series. series. Golden State, however, despite KD's injury, would go on to win the game and take a 3-2 series lead. But this is where we're at. We were initially coming from the Rockets having no chance in the series. Stephen A. Smith said it would take a miraculous event. For the Houston Rockets a to... A Herculean performance from James Harden. Yes. So Rockets had no chance in the series after being down to nothing. And all of a sudden, we are saying that if they don't win the series, if they don't win this thing, there's something wrong with them. And they had a chance to win. They had a chance to win last night. They are down by two or four at some point in the fourth quarter with like seven minutes left. And then James Harden decided to only shoot once in the remainder eight minutes. He made, what, three points in the fourth quarter? What is that, James? What is that, Mr. I'm not going to talk down to James. Yeah, just, just Anyways, anyway, get to your point. <laughs> the Warriors are no longer favorites to win the NBA Finals this year. If this KD injury continues to spur on, it's all about the Bucks. Heck, the Rockets are now the favorites to win the series and to move on to the Western Conference Finals. Despite being within a game of elimination, Stephen A. Smith, the also prominent Stephen A. Smith, we love uh, Stephen we, a. who we lo- who we love to bring on the show. Stephen A. Smith, who I just said, when the Rockets were down two to nothing, he said it would take a Herculean effort and a miraculous event by James Harden and the Rockets to even come back and tie the series, which they did. Now being down three <laughs> two, now Stephen the Mer- A. is saying, Stephen A. is saying, Jerry, he's saying that they're going to win it, yeah. and if they don't win, they're crazy. Well, now the now the miraculous event has happened, so now. All the Rockets need is that Herculean performance. But let's see what Stephen A. Smith has to say about this. Can the Warriors win a championship without Durant? No. Not this year. No way. I don't see it. I don't see them beating the Milwaukee without Kevin Durant. No way. I don't believe that. And a matter of fact, I don't see them getting out of this series against Houston. Now, I will. I, the caveat out with it, I would tell you, James Harden and CP3... They have never been under more pressure in their careers than they are over these next two games. To have CP3 healthy, and even though you're down 3-2, no Kevin Durant, no depth on the part of the Golden State Warriors, and you can't beat the Golden State Warriors after all this talk about how CP3's injury cost y'all a championship last year— they will never, ever live it down if they don't close the deal with these next two games with Kevin Durant out. I'm telling you right now. If they don't seal the deal being down 3-2, man, 
I guess there's something wrong with the Rockets. So much pressure on James Harden and CP3. Rightfully so. Yeah. KD basically was Golden State's offense. Even with the man being down yesterday, he still put up 20-plus points in his 30-something minutes played. He still produced the mass majority, at least a fifth, of the Golden State offense, and he still led the Warriors to a win despite not playing more than a quarter, sorry, more than three quarters. So, KD's out. The Warriors are without the man, the myth, the legend. Now they have to rely on the guys which they won a championship with a couple years ago, solely on, and I mean Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green. Yeah. They've done it before. They've done it without KD. Yes. But now they have to do it without him again. So my prediction throughout this whole entire thing. Let's hear it. I think the Rockets will come back and win it. Really? In the notes, you say you don't believe the Warriors lose to the Rockets, or at least they shouldn't. It's changed in the last hour. They're going back and forth with this. See, Okay. I've been going back and forth with this, and you know, it'll probably change in the next day. I'm right there with you, but this is... This is my thing. Jerry, Stephen, I just said it. I'll, I'll let you get to your point in just yeah. one second. But you know what? Let me finish my thought. Let, let's hear it. James Harden, we've been getting it. We've been... No, I want to say something. Oh, no. Okay. You, okay. you want to shout expletives, but we're on air, so we can't. Well, I don't, I don't even shout expletives in real life anyway. <laughs> not, I, I don't cuss at all. I Yeah, I rarely do it underneath my breath anyway. James Harden, with all the attention that we've been getting, we've been calling him... The most prominent score in the history of the NBA. We saw what he's done this year. 40 plus, 40 plus, 30 plus, 50 plus, 40 plus, 30 plus, 40 plus, 50 plus. Consecutively, for so many games in a row, he had this immense scoring streak. And then, and then James Harden, going back to what I said five minutes earlier, in last night's game, seven minutes remaining, you only shoot the ball once or twice. You can, you can take a lead in the series. And after, and after the game. In the press conference, uh, James, why didn't you uh, take more shots in the final seven minutes of the game? I don't know. Just didn't happen, bro. Just didn't happen. Come on, James. This is the playoffs, man. Get redemption from last year. Apparently, you got the series stolen away from the Western Conference Finals last year. Win it this time. Take it. Katie's no longer in your way. Take what's yours. That's why I think they're going to win it. Okay. And very good point. And I agree with, I agree with, with you on the on on this much. My thing with this is, I I, I don't know who who I side with on this one. I don't know whether I say the Warriors win this still, even without Katie, or I don't know whether or not the Rockets can come back. This is my point. The Warriors are twenty six and one in the last twenty seven games when Steph Curry plays, but Durant doesn't. Big problem. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green and Draymond, they have not been putting up the numbers that we usually see them put up in postseason. In fact, KD has been their most prolific player in this playoffs. Yep. So Yep. The this is the problem because they're they have such a good record in these last twenty seven games when Curry and Curry plays without Durant. But but James Harden is thirty six percent is thirty six percent from the field when guarded by Durant, and only forty and forty seven when guarded by Curry or Thompson. Without Durant, the Warriors are are not going to be able to guard James Harden to the best of their abilities. But James Harden hasn't been playing his best playoff series either. 
there's a bit there's a lot of factors going into this that I really don't know. Then just then just just take a shot. Take I, a shot. Warriors or Rockets? I can't. I there's too Jerry, much. make a prediction. I I can't and I'm low because I don't What? There's too much there's too many factors here right now that are, are make a prediction. I if you're wrong, then I won't blame you. Okay. You can change it. All right, I'll say I'll say this. Uh, series goes to game seven. But I'm not going to make a prediction on who wins it because oh that's all I'm going to say because I don't know. And <laughs> it's just okay. too much. Okay. You okay. you know what? You make your prediction. If you're right, you're right. If you're wrong, you're wrong. I just Rockets and seven. I just can't. Rockets I, and yeah, seven. I just don't know. Too many factors in it. And just thinking about it, you. It, <laughs> Rockets <laughs> too and many seven. Pieces. Nuggets and six. Rockets, Nuggets, Western Conference Finals. Nuggets win. They play the Bucks in the championship. Ah, who wins? Oh, that one? who wins that one? Bucks. <laughs> really? Yeah, Bucks will win this year. I don't know. Hate to say Without it, but Kawhi Leonard has been playing for Toronto. I think they have a good shot of being Milwaukee. We'll see if yeah. Kawhi Leonard can actually. If Kawhi Leonard is as as everybody's writing in the Bucks already for the finals, so I might as well do the same. Denver, which we have not gone to, we'll simply just mention them. And Waxy will barely talk about them because we have to get to our clips. Denver and Portland play tonight live from uh, Oregon. Yeah, and it is game six. Denver has the three-two lead. I do not want to see a game seven. As not, much as I want to see Denver advance to the Western Conference Finals for the first time in over ten years, on home court. Yeah, just do it away. Prove that you can finish a series, Jerry. Prove that you can finish a series on the road. Prove that you can win a crucial game on the road. They, of course, they've done it earlier on in this series. We've seen them come back. Yeah, after being down the series two-one, they've yeah. won two in a row. Denver needs this win. They need this series. If we can win it tonight and simply advance and just watch the drama play out between the Warriors and Houston. Yeah. Well, and, and also, Denver has the most momentum going for him at this point in time, especially considering the big, the biggest win in the series came on Tuesday night when the Nuggets won 124-98. to 98. Nuggets won by 26 points. The close, the highest score, uh, score final score up to that point was at least 10 or 11. Can I say this? Remember what the Nuggets' biggest problem against them was heading into this playoffs? Lack of experience and no identity. Yep. So why now, is, why how ironic is it that this Denver Nuggets team looks the most complete out of anybody on the Western Conference right now? Because you have guys like Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic who are coming in and really putting up the numbers, and then you have your bench players who are starting. To, you have your bench players who are starting to come in and put in the work, and who are also putting up big numbers. And Paul Millsap actually had a big game on Tuesday night as well. So. The Rockets are playing this series like it's like it's a Shakespearean play. Yeah, they're trying to get four point plays all day. The Nuggets just want to advance. The the Trailblazers are dealing with immense injury in terms of their big and, fellas, and Lil, so they can't guard Nikola. And, and Lil, then the Warriors now have KD out. Yep. So there's there's a lot of issues going on, and in the post game in the post game conference with Lillard from for the tri- Portland, he was saying that the they that the Portland needs a lot more team effort if they want to go into this. And listening to that interview. I I just have to say, th- I just have to say, L- Lillard wasn't even prolific in the game on Tuesday. I, he, he wasn't. He wasn't a factor. He, he wasn't, wasn't a, a factor, factor. But yet he's going. But he's bringing in. He's t- saying like his teammates need to pick, need to do the work. But if you can't put it put in the numbers yourself uh, in a crucial, crucial game five, come on, you you can't go and say that you know. 
you, you can't go and say that your team needs to pick up the slack here. Let's just do the Cliffs Luke right now. We got to get out of here. Um, sticking with the Nuggets and speaking of that win that they just accumulated, they at this point in the game with 135 remaining in the fourth quarter. Um, Hancho Hernan Gomez, somebody who has not had a lot of playing time for Denver, decided to come in and have his own fun. The Spain native decided to make a crucial three after a great pass to Mason Plumley. He danced on the sideline. We can't show that, but you can hear what it sounded like on TNT. Capture this three seed. Aaron Gomez. Hey, look at him dance. Uh, <laughs> he, he doesn't do the dance in the middle of the game, oh, did he? All that disappointment in the Champions League with Barcelona. And he is able to find some happiness here tonight. The man from Spain. Good work. TNT uh, on the call. Hancho Hernan Gomez having fun in that big win for the Denver Nuggets, but wasn't so much fun as we finally wrap it up here. We were talking about it earlier. This point in the game in which Landis Gog was deemed offsides after the coach's challenge, which cost the Avalanche the game-tying goal. It was reversed. Landis Gog didn't even know it was coming, and this is how it sounded in San Jose. After coach's challenge, it's determined the play was offside. Sportsnet on the call on that one. That's where it was off their broadcast of the game. But man, that really made your heart sink. And that is just how it ended up being played out in California. Avalanche were sent home, but the Denver Nuggets still remain alive. 8.30 tonight from Portland. Game starts at 8.30, like I just said, Mountain West time, and we will be watching that game, and we'll hopefully, hopefully see Denver move on to face off against the winner of the Rockets and the Warriors. Another bit, another big game for Denver if they can just close this they out. On this the... one. I don't feel comfortable in a Game 7. I just don't want that. I just don't want it right now. I, I would feel comfortable in a Game 7, but... I just don't want one. Well, yeah, I don't want one either, but I would feel comfortable in a Game 7, but moving into the finals, they, they can't afford to go into a Game 7 in this series. Anyways, we're done. Uh, we're, gonna, we're done. We're going to come back Tuesday. Special show Tuesday. Do you want to do two shows next week? Yeah. Let's do two. Yeah, why not? Uh, next week, we're going to have the general manager of the Rocky Mountain Vibes, rookie affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers in Colorado Springs, will be joining us on the show to discuss his rebranding and this, and I almost had the Sky Sox, my goodness, the Rocky Mountain Vibes moving forward because I just have a particular interest in that team and he decided to come on the show. So, yeah. 4 p.m. Tuesday. Come back and listen to us. We will give you a live show then. And then next week on Thursday, same time, same place. Matt Kennedy, Jared Peralta, Wired Up. We will see you then. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon.